You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that thou... Will you join me for a word of prayer? Blessed Lord Jesus, we thank you for the mighty acts of salvation which you came to perform for our sake. We've reflected on this all through the year and especially through the season of Easter. And now, as we transition into the season of Pentecost, we thank you for the gift of the Spirit that draws us unto you. As we reflect upon the Spirit-inspired words of Scripture together now, we ask that you bless us with a right understanding, but even more, with the power to conform our lives to your word. And this we ask as we go forward in your most precious and holy name. Amen. The Lord always fulfills his promises. I'm sure this this is what they call preaching to the choir because after all, you got up on Sunday morning and got yourselves here on a beautiful day. But it's important for us to remember this and to remember on top of it what the Apostle Peter had to remind his flock of, which is that the Lord is not slow about fulfilling his promises, not as some people count slowness. Of course, the most important promise that God has fulfilled has been the giving of Jesus Christ for our salvation. And how long did he wait to fulfill that promise? The first time we hear the promise mentioned is as our primordial parents are expelled from paradise because of their sin. Even in the midst of pronouncing the judgment that banishes them from the garden, God promises that it will not always be so. Speaking to Eve, He explains to her that her progeny, her son, will forever battle against the serpent that has deceived them. And that while the serpent will bruise his heel, he will in turn crush the head of that serpent. 2,000 years before the coming of Christ. As far before His coming as we are after it, God spoke to a wandering Aramean, a childless and old man who had no one to leave his riches to and, and promised him that despite how old he and his wife were, their progeny would number more than the stars that he looked up at the heavens to see. And in fact, promised him something even more. Promised him that his seed, singular, and St. Paul picks up on this, would become a blessing to all the nations of the earth. One of his descendants 
would bless all the nations of the earth by His presence. God reiterates His promise in a different way, articulating another side of that promise. And the Bible tells us that despite how old he was and how impossible it seemed, Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. 700 years before the coming of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah, in many different prophecies across the long span of his career, reiterated this promise of God and fleshed it in a little bit more, showed us a couple more facets of this beautiful jewel in the prophecies that we now refer to as the ninth chapter of Isaiah, and the 11th chapter of Isaiah, and the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, which is the suffering servant passage. He promises again, he articulates rather God's promise again. God speaks through Isaiah to promise that yes, this Redeemer is coming. And in the, the wonderful passage that we as Lutherans quote at every funeral, that on the Lord's holy mountain, every tear will be dried up and there will be no more crying or mourning on all that holy mountain for the Lord will lift off the veil that covers all people, that is, the veil of death. And how will He do that? Through the coming of His promised Messiah. And finally, in what the Bible calls the fullness of time, which is a fancy way of translating a Greek word, which is hard to translate, but it means at the perfect time, at the exact right moment, for it to be fulfilled that God's promises might be worked out, the Holy Spirit comes and overshadows a poor virgin girl in a backwater of the Roman Empire. And despite the craziness of the news that she will be with child though she knows no man. Despite how insane that sounds, more insane than an old man and his wife having a child. She says, let it be done unto me according to your word. And so the promised Redeemer is conceived in her womb. And she becomes, as the Greeks say, platitera. Greek is a very efficient language. That one word means more spacious than the heavens. Because she contained in her womb the one who holds all of creation in the palm of his hand. This is the icon called the platitera. There's many variations of it. But all of them have these things in common. Jesus is always pictured as a baby. Sitting, really sitting on Mary's lap, but really where her womb is. But the thing I... The, these kind of pictures are meant to teach. What they teach... If you ever go to a Greek or a Russian church, you'll see this. This is usually behind the altarpiece. Look at Mary's hands. Open. To receive whatever it is God is giving. How un, however unexpected the news. Let it be done to me according to your word. And now look at Jesus' hands. In the liturgical action that goes back almost the entire 2,000 years of the church, he holds up his hands like this, like I do at the end of every worship service, in a sign of blessing. Even in being conceived in Mary's womb, Jesus is marrying our human nature to God's own nature, and so is already beginning to bless the world. 
And then he will go on to do the mighty acts of our salvation. Everything that is needed for our salvation. He is born into a stall. A manger fit for feeding animals. Without even his own roof over his head. Communicating to all the world what St. Paul would quote from an ancient hymn of the church, that though he was in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but instead emptied himself and took the form of a servant, taking the lowest possible position to serve his Father's purposes and to serve us in our need. Then he went on to perform all sorts of miracles that demonstrated that the power of God was acting in and through him. He healed. He cast out demons. He fed 5,000 plus with a few loaves of bread and some fish. And of course, as his ministry among us came to its apogee, He goes to the cross. He dies for our sins and is raised for our justification. And finally, He ascends to the right hand of the Father that we may know that He is not only Lord of us, but Lord of all. And in doing so, in doing so, He makes a new promise. This part of the Father's promise fulfilled, He makes a new promise that the Father is sending what in today's Gospel reading is called the Helper. What we heard in last week's reading was simply called the promise of God. A new promise that God is going to fulfill. John 3.16 is the most beloved of New Testament passages for a reason. See, when I was, uh, this past week, I had the unfortunate... um, responsibility to um, perform the funeral of a friend from high school's wife. And um, as I gathered with some friends uh, from high school, one of the other guys there, his brother, his, his brother's wife said, says, you know, I don't have a lot of Bible passages memorized, but I know John 3.16. Why is it so beloved? God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Because we know that God shared what was most precious to Him, His only begotten Son. Not only so that we might have eternal life, but that as Peter also says, that we might become partakers of the divine nature, swept up into the life of the Trinity. We'll talk more about that next week. But to know that God has shared what is most precious to Him is going to change everything for this young, fledgling community that's following after the risen Christ. Because God makes a new promise as He's going. Jesus says that, yes, you're sad right now because you know I'm going. And when does He say this? He says this at the Passover meal, which we call the Last Supper. The good news is, it's not going to take several centuries or many centuries for God to fulfill His promise this time. The perfect time for God to fulfill this promise is as Christ is ascending. So 54 days from the first time Jesus speaks about it, it will come true. God's promise will be fulfilled. Because this time, 
The Spirit is not going to overshadow a virgin that the Redeemer of the world might come into the world. The Spirit is going to overshadow the community of believers called the church. And the word church just means assembly. This group gathered who are of one mind, as the Scripture tells us today, the Spirit will overshadow them that the news of the Redeemer of the world might go out into all the world. What does he say to his disciples in today's Gospel reading? Well, let's break it down quickly. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, says Jesus, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This is what's going to change the disciples' sadness at the departure of their teacher and Savior into the joy we heard about in the Gospel reading last week. It's going to be to their advantage. Jesus, let's be clear, is saying, it's better that I go away and that the Spirit come to you. Why? Well, because... Come on. Can you move us forward one? Alyssa, I don't know why it's frozen up on me. There we go. Because this Spirit will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, to be convicted of things sounds like a bad thing to us. But to be convicted, if you ever watch a court drama, means the truth is coming out. And we want the truth, even when it hurts. First, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. At what we call the final judgment, when Jesus comes again to judge the living and the dead, every flimsy excuse we have ever given for not believing in Him, for not letting His Lordship extend over the parts of our lives, will stand revealed for what it is, a rationalization. That is a rational lie. Because there was something we valued more than His Lordship in that area of our lives. At the final judgment... Jesus won't need to cast people into hell because he'll simply be verifying our own judgment of ourselves. We will stand revealed to ourselves as he has been revealed to us. So concerning sin, when we do not believe in him. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, he says, and you will see me no longer. This introduces something into the life of the church which didn't need to be here when Jesus, when we were face to face with him and that's faith. How are we saved? By grace, through faith. As the later scriptures tell us. You won't find those words in the gospel. We're going to talk about that in a minute. We need to trust Jesus even when we can't see him. Just as Abraham couldn't see the fulfillment of the promise God gave to him, but trusted it and that was counted to him as righteousness. So we need to be able to trust in the Lordship of Jesus Christ even when we can't see it in action in our lives. I went to seminary in Gettysburg. Do you know what the most important thing on a battlefield was prior to the advent of modern radio communications? flag. The waving of the flag let everyone on the battlefield know that our army hasn't collapsed and we're not in retreat. If the person carrying the flag was shot, 
the person next to them dropped their own weapon, their own means of defense, and picked it up and swung it over their heads. If it looked like the army was going to be defeated, soldiers would tear the flag to shreds and swallow it so that it would not fall into enemy hands. Seeing that they were not yet in collapse inspired the soldiers to keep fighting. But it wasn't faith, it was sight. We need faith so that we can continue to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ, that we can continue to fight the good fight of faith, as St. Paul will tell his young servant Timothy. Even when we can't see him. So the Spirit is going to convict us and draw us in righteousness, the righteousness of faith toward Jesus. And finally, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. As we talked about in last week's sermon, the ruler of this world, the prince of this world, is not the Lord Jesus Christ. It is his enemy. And what is the judgment of that enemy? It is the cross. See, everyone says they want righteousness. Everyone says they want to be a good person. Everyone says that they want justice. But when goodness came into their midst, someone who would speak the truth to them unflinchingly, but show love at the same time, they crucified him. Emily Dickinson said, tell the truth, but tell it slant. Meaning, I can't take it too, I can't take it too straight on. Kind of go around the angles with me. In the book, Children of Men, and I'm not going to remember the name of this author again. What is with me? Um, wonderful, wonderful book. It's a it's sort of post-apocalyptic dystopia thing. But they're living in a world that largely has lost its faith. Um, and they wander into an abandoned church. And there on the wall hangs a simple plaster crucifix. And the person telling the story says, you know, even for an unbeliever like me, that symbol of man's inhumanity to man has always made me uncomfortable. This is what we do to the righteous in our midst. We crucify them. And we crucified God when He showed up. That's the judgment of the ruler of this world. And this Spirit convicts us of those things. And He also reveals what Jesus didn't have time to teach in His earthly ministry. The things we weren't yet ready for. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Have you ever wondered why this is an appropriate graphic for us to use when we're getting ready to hear the gospel? The flames of the Spirit arising from the Scriptures? Because the Spirit is the ultimate author of Scripture. I was talking to a college sophomore recently who was saying to me, said, well, you know, the Bible was just written by people. The devil's in the details, you've heard that saying? The problem with her sentence was the word just. Yes, the Bible was written by Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and James, and Peter, and Paul, but not just by them. The Spirit was the ultimate author behind those words. Because you know how it was, we have the New Testament we have? It's not because a bunch of bishops got together and voted on it. Forget what you learned from the Da Vinci Code, it was wrong. It was the testimony of the Spirit, not only in the words of the authors, but in the reception of the community of faith. The people everywhere who had received that same Spirit of God looked 
heard those words and said, yep, we can read that one in, in worship. That must be the Word of God. That, those words are inspired by the Spirit. Not everything that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Peter, James, and Paul wrote became Scripture. The beginning of 1 Corinthians is, like I said to you in my last letter. Well, apparently, the first letter of St. Paul wrote was not good enough to be Scripture. <laughs> and it was forgotten by the church. But people just like you recognized in the words of Scripture. People of lots of different ethnicities from lots of different countries, lots of different languages, recognized in those words a true Spirit-driven testimony to Jesus. The Spirit is given to the whole church and that tongue of fire was, was there. And the Spirit used particular people to reveal all the truth to His people. The Spirit overshadowed a virgin and the Redeemer of the world was born, was conceived in her womb. The Spirit overshadowed the church and news of that Redeemer, the ability to proclaim His Word and that good news about Him was given to the whole church so that as people heard it, the Spirit might draw them towards Jesus. God shared what was most precious to Him in His Son and in the other person of the Holy Trinity, the Spirit, which draws us unto the Son and through the Son back to the Father. That is what we celebrate at Pentecost. It's why we remember it every year. And that young community, receiving that Spirit, everything about them changed. I love this. this is a picture of Peter uh, preaching that was done by an Eastern European artist. God had shared with them what was most precious and they began to share with one another. Do you know by the end of this chapter in the book of Acts, we are told that that fledgling community held all things in common. No one went without. There were no impoverished people among them. They shared not only their physical stuff of living, but which, is, which was important in a day and age when life was hard, but they, they also shared the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, the meal of memor that memorial meal. They prayed together. They were in worship together. They spoke into one another's lives and others, seeing the way they lived, were drawn toward them so that they could share with those people Jesus. They shared, it within, shared Him within the community and reminded each other of Him and they shared Him with those without. It is the one mission of the Church of Jesus Christ to share Jesus in every age. All the other good stuff we do is nice. It's good stuff. We've done bad stuff too. That's unfortunate. It needs to be repented of. But our one mission is to share Jesus in every day and age. When I showed you this picture a moment ago, I talked about how the title of it is More Spacious Than the Heavens. The power of the Holy Spirit made the Redeemer of the world grow inside her womb. Peter Kreeft, who was the uh, chair of the philosophy department at Boston College, said, Do you want to know why since the Renaissance there has been a relentless attack upon the authority of Scripture? And the integrity of Scripture is just because a lot of scholars had a different agenda for their students than Jesus had for His. 
And those professors are desperately afraid that their students will become pregnant by the power of the Spirit with the power of God. That is what the Word of God is meant to engender in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. We uphold and we preach Christ from the Scriptures and we tell His story to one another and to the world so that filled with His Spirit, filled with this Spirit, we might go forth and give glory to God with lives of witness and by telling His story again. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious Lord, when your servant John Wesley went forward to preach, he said, when I want to draw a crowd, I set myself on fire because everyone loves a good blaze. We ask that you would set us on fire with the power of your Spirit. Teach us your will and your ways. May we grow and be drawn closer to you. For you have shared what is most precious to you with us, even your Son. Receiving that gift, may we be empowered to share him and all our lives with one another. This we ask in his precious name, which is forever Jesus the Christ. Amen. Sleeping my presence, my life